In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, Last week I told you how during these weeks after Easter we'd be focusing in the sermons on the, the readings from the book of Acts, and that's true of today, now this third Sunday of Easter. Uh, the book of Acts talked about it a little bit last week. If, if the Gospels, these stories about Jesus, tell us everything that Jesus was doing up to and through his crucifixion and resurrection, you can say the book of Acts is everything that Jesus continues to do after his ascension to his Father's right hand through his apostles and, and through the church. In fact, Luke, uh, the one who wrote the book of Acts and also the Gospel of Luke, He begins Acts, he says, in my former book, that is the gospel, I told you all about what Jesus began to do. In other words, Jesus is still very much doing. Even though you don't see him or experience him in the same way, he is still very much doing through his apostles, through the church. And since you are part of that, believe it or not, better if you believe it, but believe it or not, through even you. And today... Uh, today, what Jesus is doing through through Peter, well, at least what it seems that he's doing at first glance to me is being um, rather harsh, actually. Uh, t- today's reading is from, from Acts chapter 2. This is the, the great feast of Pentecost. Our reading actually picks up with the last sentence of the sermon which Peter preached on that day. A Pentecost, 50 days after Easter, it's a great big harvest festival. There were devout Jews from all over the place who were gathered there. And it's then that the Holy Spirit uh, blew energy into the apostles, uh, gave them this miraculous ability to speak foreign languages of all those places that they had never learned. Uh, The the people around there uh, figure these guys are a bunch of drunks. And just as they're figuring that, Peter, representative of the apostles, he stands up and says, nope, it's too early for drunk. (laughs) Too early in the day for that. What you see, this is all the Holy Spirit. This is all about Jesus, the one whom you killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up. It's the long and short of the first part of, of Peter's sermon. And then that last sentence The last sentence of his sermon, the first of our reading, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. (laughs) And there's the harsh part, (laughs) the mean part. Even gave it my pointy finger because maybe Peter said it that way, whom you crucified. And if you're listening there, in the matter of a two-minute sermon, Peter had to say that twice, whom you crucified. Kind of grates on me. Uh, and maybe, maybe it grates on me more than, than others, uh, uh, because I would never preach like that. <laughs> in fact, in seminary school, when you uh, take sermon class, they tell you that, you know, when it comes to the part of the sermon where you have to give the bad news, we Lutherans cause, call that the, the law, the accusation. When, when you give the bad news, it's best to do that in the first person plural with a we. You know, so you say, uh, we failed God. We, we let one another down, don't we? Uh, maybe myself, I will uh, morph into the, uh, the first person singular every once in a while to talk about what I've done and, and left undone, kind of to show that we're all in this together. There's not the one person up here yelling at you, horrible sinners. No, we're all a bunch of losers together. Me and you, me first of all, we. 
And then you say the U's, so they teach in seminary. You skip seminary now. <laughs> when, you, when you get to the, the good news, that's, that's when you give them the U's. But friends, you are beloved. You are known and you are still loved. You are forgiven. You are free. You have a friend who will never, ever let you go. You, 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 even you. That's supposed to be the extra power, the gospel right between the eyes. So we, for the bad news, you, for the good news. But evidently, Peter skipped that day at seminary. <laughs> no, from him, it's Jesus whom you crucified. And again, twice in a, in a two-minute sermon. And it's not just there. If you were to keep reading through Acts, just about every time Peter and the apostles open up their mouths, it's like they don't miss a chance to tell whomever is listening, you killed Jesus. You denied, delivered, and killed the author of life. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. The righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. (laughs) Those are all quotes from the, the, the sermons the apostles preach in the first chapters of the book of Acts. Every time they preach, it's as if they're, they're piling on. So I say it kind of great. <laughs> Won't let them forget it. Maybe you're a, a part of one of those families. Maybe you're actually the, the butt of this, that every time they get together, they, they seemingly cannot pass up a chance to remind you of the time three decades ago when you threw a fit at Christmas <laughs> because you didn't get the shoes you wanted. Or, or, or can't help but pass up the chance to remind you of that crazy girlfriend you had in college, even though it was long, long past and you've been married for two decades. Piling on, can't, can't pass up a chance. We'll raise that to a thousand degrees here. And so Peter, Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when your family piles on like that, you might uh, excuse yourself from the table or pour yourself another drink or something like that. But given the the harshness of uh, Peter's laying into them like that, it's somewhat surprising the folks don't just walk away. They don't say, like we said, a bunch of drunks. In fact, they don't even do what you might think, if you put it all together, would be the most obvious way to respond to this. Peter says, Jesus, whom you crucified, they might say, Jesus who? (laughs) We weren't even here 50 days ago. How could we have crucified him? And they, they don't say that. Instead, we're told they were cut to the heart. Which tells us that somehow, see, the Holy Spirit is how, somehow they had gathered that Peter, that Peter spoke truth. That somehow, somehow, though they didn't dry the nails, they were somehow wrapped up in who and what did. That though they were not the onstage actors, they all stood as perfectly prepared understudies who have called upon, could easily, and would effortlessly have stepped into the roles. So maybe not donning the, the priestly robe of Caiaphas who said, it's better that one man die than all of us. But with the same cool calculating hearts, ready to calculate away anyone who threatens their privilege. Or maybe no fancy crown like Pilate who'd washed his hands and said, it's not mine to deal with this one, but ever ready to turn a blind eye to anything that might mean getting their hands a little dirty. The heartless soldiers just doing their job, 
The deserting disciples' cowardice played those roles a hundred times. And the crowds, the crowds who just went along with it all, didn't say a thing. Everyone else is there. Played that one a thousand times. Jesus, whom you crucified. You see how this you works? It's one big, messy, smelly, crucifying you. And all the ways that matter, the the Good Friday crowd, the same as the Pentecost crowd. All swimming in the same waters, blind to, scared of, caught up in the same garbage. And maybe, too, you can see the real reason why that Jesus whom you crucified from Peter really grates on me. And it's not because he, he broke the seminary rules. It's because the you is you. And because the you is me. All of us, all the roles down pat. You rehearse them every day. And so do I. All part of the one big mess of you. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's how the Pentecost crowd responded to Peter. And it really is no wonder once you see how they receive them about them. Those are those are hard words to hear. <laughs> In fact, they're, they're hard words to, to preach as as well. As one whose job it is ordained, which means under orders, to, to follow on the, the trail of, of Peter's sermon and kind of continue the Pentecost sermon. I sometimes wonder if my own getting up here and preaching, I'm no Peter, don't claim that, but if my own preaching up here, rather than stabbing in the heart, which what it literally means, stabbed him in the heart, is more of a, a prick on the finger <laughs> or maybe a slug in the arm once in a while. And I wonder if that's because it is so hard not just to hear those words, but to preach them, especially, especially, not just because you don't want to ruffle feathers or make people feel bad, which I suppose is part of it, but especially when you're under the conviction, as I am, that most of the people who show up here on a Sunday morning or these days take a seat behind a computer screen show up already (laughs) pre-cut, already stabbed. Maybe that wasn't exactly true of, of Peter's audience, but I think it is of mine. That at least some to some degree that you and I'm with you and that you for sure, that you come here already hemorrhaging from a conscience burdened with the guilt that you have played all of those roles so terribly well. That you've come tired and bruised from sharing the stage with those who have rehearsed on you, cold Caiaphas, heartless soldier, deserting disciple, and all the rest. And so it can be kind of hard to give a a stabbing Jesus whom you crucified sermon as true as it is for fear that someone will show up on a Sunday or sit down at the computer and say, man, on top of all of that hemorrhaging and that bruising and that tiredness, on top of all the coronavirus crud, now you tell me I have to deal with killing Jesus too? Well, the good news is you don't have to deal with it. (laughs) Whether you listen today as one in need of a stabbing you crucified, and frankly, some do, or if you come as one pre-stabbed, 
or one cut in countless other ways. The beauty of Peter's final words. What he was probably preaching faster than I do just to get to, which must have made his heart sing, which should make the heart of every Christian, every preacher, sing to say. The words which only Jesus crucified and raised up make possible to say. Those words, these words are forever you. The Jesus whom you crucified, yes, God has raised him up and made him Lord in Christ. Yes, you have done that, but God has done this. He's raised him up. He's raised him up full of peace and release and with open arms. He's raised him up so that Peter could proclaim, that Jesus could proclaim, that I could proclaim that there is forgiveness for all those roles. For all the roles, for all the coldnesses and heartlessnesses and desertions. All the characters you have played and play, all the costumes you've worn and wear, washed, covered, and exchanged for a forgiveness suit sewn just for you. For the promise, the promise is for you and your children. How Peter sings that good news. The promise is for you and your children. Yes, you are, I am, all wrapped up in the big, messy, ugly you that he had to get to first. But more, you and your children. You and those you love and all those who love you, they are wrapped up in a bigger you than the crucified you. They are wrapped up in the promise is for you. And what is that promise? Dear children, that you are beloved, that you are known and still loved, that you are forgiven, that you are free, that you have a friend, a Lord and Savior and God who will never, ever, ever let you, remember the gospel right between the eyes, you, even you, go. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. That's worth rejoicing over and singing a song about rejoicing. So now, we sing together, This is the day that the Lord hath made.